So this weekend, Samantha was like really angry at UT and wanted Alabama to score like a million points on them. And uh-huh. she was like, I hope they score fucking 48 on you. I hope that they, <laughs> I hope you lose and you have to like destroy your football team and you never play football again. She has a lot of aggression. That's and fair. she just like went on and on and she kept hitting I hope. And then into the silence after she petered out, I just said, I hope you dance. And then I sang <laughs> all of I hope you dance to her. You dance. And it was like, Leanne Womack is soothes the soul. I think we all know that. I hope you day. Oh, sorry. Carry on. Hit me with the intro. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin, and I'm Nathan. And today we are getting back after a quick bye week. You know, the unexpected bye week where we all took a little bit of time to rest. Uh, think about what we did wrong, you know, and come back at it again another time. So here we are, just talking about football once more. We're playing the Kentucky Wildcats, the uh, the, the bourbon-soaked kittens from north of us. Uh, yeah, don't soak yeah, your kittens in bourbon, just for the record. You know, yeah, you probably shouldn't. It's probably not best. I mean, you already have one half of your cats are entirely too crazy for that sort of thing, but... Um, oh, no, they're all get... they're all crazy. <laughs> uh, before we get right into it, though, I did still, you know, I wanted to reintroduce the new segment we have, the weekend wrap up. We can talk a little bit about the past weekend's worth of games and things that happened in the college football world. We start with the honorable mentions and move into dishonorable mentions, and we segment it all out by outside the hedges and between the hedges. And so the very first thing I wanted to talk about were the honorable mentions, Nathan. And uh, did you watch football this weekend? Oh, yeah, I did. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, you know, it's one of those things yeah. where I got to ask on the show, you know, do it for the yeah. folks that are listening at home. Uh, honorable mentions outside of the hedges, the big 10, not big. Yeah, the big 10. I was like, big, I second guess myself there for a second. Yes. Big 12 has been playing big 10 just started again. The big 10's back at it again. And Michigan had a pretty great start, which is not something you could really say. I feel about Michigan. They just kind of uh putter about and have uh in the last few years with Harbaugh but they are sitting on top of ESPN's FPI F- uh, efficiency ratings uh they they moved up they are ranked number 1 overall ranked 1 in offense ranked ninth in defense ranked 49th in special teams which that doesn't matter to them i guess and just to really uh add some icing on that cake they have a running back named Chris Evans that i thought you might want to know about yeah i mean they look pretty good uh Minnesota was missing all of their specialists and they're starting they sure were right guard and their starting linebacker but you know i believe john jim Har- whatever harbaugh he is jim <laughs> harbaugh has a uh, has a functioning offense uh joe, joe milton looks really good he's got you know he's sort of a cam newton type uh he's a big old dude but he's and he's got a cannon but he had some good touch i mean i i was impressed i i don't know how replicable that success is against someone mm-hmm. like ohio state but you know i mean you got to beat the teams that you should beat, and they did a good job of it. And they, you they know, sure did. they had a really weird first three or four plays. They had like a punt blocked for a touchdown, and then just like a quick change situation, another touchdown, and then they sort of just took control of the game. Yeah, yeah, it was a, definitely a strange game, um, and it, like you said, like we'll definitely have to see how they play against a team that's that's got all the pieces they're meant to have. Uh, what other honorable mentions do we have? So, if you have children in your car or in your house i just want to i want to tell you before i go to this next point that you should pause this and i would say scrabble forward like let's just call it 15 seconds just to be it make it easy but anyway 
my uh, my honorable mention is the lane train choo choo motherfucker lane, <laughs> lane kiffin coming in hot like we see this is the problem is when we saw old lane kiffin tennessee lane kiffin uh alabama lane kiffin um it was undisciplined right he all of his tom fuckery was just like willy-nilly and it seems like you know maybe he start he finally like got all of his energy he has so much troll energy, and I think previously it was going into all aspects of his life, and that's the problem, right? He needs to like keep that caustic energy on the football field. And so after Ole Miss got royally screwed by the SEC refs and on what should have been a review of an Ole Miss touchdown uh, a kickoff recovery, a fumble recovery, well, it wasn't even a fumble, he just touched the ball. Um, <laughs> Lane Kiffin complained <laughs> about the refs, and the SEC responded by saying that they were wrong and then fining him $25,000. And then he said he was going to pay it in twenty five thousand. Uh, first, it was like, tw- does anyone have twenty five thousand pennies? And uh-huh. Someone pointed out to him that actually no, that's not twenty five thousand dollars. Their pennies aren't worth a dollar. And then he was like, okay, does anybody have twenty five thousand pennies? And then someone else was like, still not no. twenty five thousand dollars, late. And then he was like, fine. Does anyone have two point five million pennies? The SEC just <laughs> finally reviewed something, and they reviewed this tweet, and so I'm going to fix it. And it was like, oh, damn, Lane. Damn, Lane, Lane, damn. Anyway, yep. I, I just, I think the SEC officiating has been really bad for a long time, and it's not an anti-Georgia conspiracy. I think it's bad all over. I think it weakens the, it weakens the entire brand of the SEC, which apparently we like a lot, but only enough to jerk off on and not enough to do anything about. Earlier when you said this is going to be 15 seconds, it definitely was not. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you No, um, okay, so now, now that you're back in, everyone with kids in the car, that was... You know, that was a, a very solid 15 seconds profanity and no more. And you didn't miss anything else. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, do uh, you have shout some, out to Jonathan uh, some... Ashley, too, by the way. <laughs> Why? <laughs> for that one. Just because he, he sent in that question. But I'm just going to put that here at the very front for him. <laughs> yeah. You're um, welcome, Ashley. There you go. And hopefully no one else hears that but you because that feels like a real, that feels like it might be a Patreon exclusive. I don't know if there's an ed- <laughs> we can edit around that one. Uh, between the hey. hedges, honorable mention. Uh, yeah. Brock Brock Vandegriff, our our favorite future boy. Um, I was gonna come up with something very clever, but you know, couldn't do it here at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night, it's Tuesday night. But anyway, yeah. Brock Vandegriff, uh, playing over at Prince Avenue Christian School, our five star quarterback, meant to be here next year. Uh, he led his team, the Prince Avenue Christian Wolverines, to beat their rivals, the Athens Academy whatever's spartans maybe i think they are 41 to 7 um they have lost the last four years uh but the most notable part of all that is a <laughs> i learned a lot about prince avenue christian school so brock's dad is the coach which i would not want that at all i would not wish that on anybody to be one the yeah that the starting horrible. quarterback five-star quarterback the number four georgia player in, in you know in the state um and have my dad be the guy that is coaching me all the way there and has to deal with all of that and negotiate all that. And uh, it's just a lot. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like a complicated relationship. Works for some, not for all. Um, I don't want that necessarily. But anyway, um, they've lost their last four years against ACAD. Uh, but this weekend, apparently, there, there's a little quote that I saw in, a, in an article that was like, you know, um, his first quarter, he did really poorly. He threw like four for 14 and like 30 yards. And he looked at his dad and his dad was like, you got to stop screwing around out there, son. And that's like, I'm paraphrasing, but not much. And the article continues and goes, Brock looked at his dad and said, 
you got it. Yes, sir. And then went out there and threw 13 for 24, 201 yards, three touchdowns, and ran 40 yards for an additional touchdown. <laughs> um, and Kirby was there this weekend, and all he it's had like to say the was like... Mm-hmm. The world's worst Rocky speech. Yeah, basically. Uh, so that's that. And that's something we have to look forward to, I hope. You know, uh, we'll, we'll see what he, he can do with some um, all-star, uh, you know, talent receiving the ball and, and blocking yeah, I mean, him, he's et cetera, a, et cetera. He's, a, he's, you know, I mean, he's an actual dual threat. He can run around a little bit. He's a big dude with a big mm-hmm. arm. I'm excited about it. Uh, it's been a while since we had a dude who fit that profile. Uh, and we mm-hmm. had the last one transfer, so... Hashtag don't start Stetson Bennett 2021. Moving on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that, that'll be a big theme of today's episode. A lot of subjective narratives that are kind of talking about the quarterback position. So we'll get into that in a minute. But dishonorable mentions outside the hedges, Jalen Waddle's ankle and all ankles everywhere, really, just because it's a yeah. shitty joint. You know, yeah. Jalen Waddle had a most likely, I guess that's a season ending injury. Yes, that's definitely yeah, they've a season confirmed. Injury. They confirmed um, it's season ending. Broke his ankle this weekend. He's got six to eight weeks off of it, and then he starts some physical therapy. But um, I've seen some subjective narratives that basically say, Alabama's shot. They're done. Um, so what do you have to say about that situation? I mean, it sucks. Jalen Waldo's a really fun player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rare for Georgia to, ke- to catch an ass whipping from a player and me to be like, well, I kind of enjoyed watching that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say anything about Anything negative about him, it sucks for him. We want him to come back at full strength. He's going to absolutely tear the NFL up, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't, you know, first you got to beat what's on your schedule to get there if you're Georgia. So really, it doesn't merit bear thinking about. But if you do want to think about the matchup in terms of this personnel change, I think the thing you think about is, you know, I, I heard this several times from, um, I'm going to say Barton and Bud. I think it was Bud Elliott on their podcast. And they were talking about how, the concern that Georgia had coming in the year is that they didn't have anybody in the slot to cover Jalen Waddell. Mm-hmm. I think Michi, who is their sort of breakout freshman receiver, um, is a great receiver. But I think him being the number two receiver versus the number three uh, behind Devonta Smith, I mean, I think that's significant. I mean, you know, not only did UGA probably not have anybody who could cover Waddle because he was that good, they also were missing DJ Daniel for that game who is probably going to be there. DJ Daniel is probably going to be UGA slot corner who was matched up on Waddle a lot of the time. And, you know, I think a combination of personnel, like if you have Monty Rice at full strength, then you have DJ Daniel at full strength and them losing Waddle. It's like Alabama's ceiling is probably still win the national title. I don't think that's changed. I do think their floor or their, I, I think their, their ability to get got right. Like, it was going to be hard to get them with what Waddle and Fonta Smith on the field, I think. I think they just can score at will. And they still probably will score at will. But I think getting stops on them becomes 5% easier to do, which it matters when you have a team that just is rarely ever getting stopped. Do you have any dishonorable mentions between the hedges? Because I didn't really see anything much. No, I mean, uh, nobody got arrested to my knowledge. So, hey, yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. That's always a good thing. <laughs> so let's get right into our subjective narratives this weekend. We are playing the Kentucky Wildcats in Kroger, on Kroger Field, in Kroger Field? Um, either way. Um, we are traveling to Kentucky. It's at noon. These are the things I'm hearing and seeing. Uh, and I'll give you some headlines. You can t- kind of tell me what you think about them. So very first one is Georgia is at a crossroads with offensive identity. And here's a quote straight from... 
um, someone you know and maybe love. You might have mixed feelings about them, but if we don't see Dewan Mathis or JT Daniels against Kentucky this week, then I don't think we'll see them this year, Hudson Mason said, because really the bye week is the best time to make a quarterback change and give a guy some reps with the ones. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean... I agree. I've actually had a phone call with uh, Hudson Mason earlier this year. He, we talked what? over some stuff. Yeah, he didn't know that. No. <laughs> when yeah. did you talk to Hudson Mason on the phone? <laughs> I had a friend of a friend who knew him, and he was looking and doing some like web publishing stuff, and so he just oh, called cool. me and asked what I thought about some stuff. Yeah, it was very very pleasant conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, I agree with the first mm-hmm. part of the supposition. I I think probably Kirby Smart is signaling that you're not going to see or that, you know, Stetson Bennett is the starter. My concern about that, and we can talk about this later. I mean, do you want to do Stetson Bennett now or do you want to do Stetson Bennett later? Um, let's get through. We can kind of talk throughout these first three questions because they're all going to be about, <clears throat> honestly, the offense and the quarterback position. So, so you can we talked about in. this a lot. If you really want to see an in-depth discussion of this with three very different viewpoints, um, check mm-hmm. out our Battle Hymnal from earlier this week. I thought it was a really good show and we really cracked on this in depth. My basic takeaway is the problem with Hudson or with Stetson Bennett. Huh? The problem with Stetson <laughs> Bennett is that he hasn't necessarily been bad enough to lose the job, but he hasn't been good enough to win you many games. The issue is he, with Stetson Bennett, we can probably win every game remaining on our schedule outside of the SEC championship. Right? Uh-huh. So I, I think Hudson is right here. Mr. Mason is right here. Um, And, you know, I have questions about whether or not JT is healthy. And I think that might be part of the problem. But ultimately, I think um, it worries me to 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 agree with him because I also feel I also feel like Kirby is so small C conservative. He's not going to make a change until he has to. And he's not going to feel like he has to until we lose another game, at which point it won't matter. Second big headline I saw was you either trust Todd Munkin or you don't. And what this article kind of goes on to say is that, you know, the the quarterback position basically doesn't matter until you've established whether or not you trust Todd Munkin in the position that he's been placed in. And so um, I wanted to throw this one to you because you've been uh, working with the Battle Hymnal guys on a lot of deep film analysis. And I wanted to see, should we or should we not trust, trust Todd Munkin based on what we've seen so far and what we may expect to see? I, I think we should trust him. I think he's had a really good... Um... I, I think schematically we've had a really good season. I think, you know, UGA number of plays run is up. I think our concepts are much more intelligent this year. We're running a lot of sale. We're running a lot of all goes, all verts. We're running a lot of um, like mesh. We've ran some some interesting run concepts. We've been running um, like an outside zone. We've been running split or split zone. We've been running, um, you know, like naked toss. We've been running outside power. So I, I, Long story short, I do trust him. I think that our, I think that the the offense, the most of the offensive problems this year have been on execution and not on play calling, which is nice. Having said that, I don't know that I trust Kirby Smart to not interfere with him. Mm. So that is my concern, right? Is, you know, I don't, obviously, I, I think, you know, um, I think this was um, Anthony Dasher at UGA or UGA's rival sites who wrote this article. And I, and I agree that, you know, you have to trust the coaches to do their best with the player evaluations that they see. And I think it's totally, totally possible that JT Daniels and Dwan Mathis just aren't ready, either physically, mentally, whatever. 
But I also think that it's possible that UGA is going to start Stetson Bennett no matter what they are doing, just because, you know, Kirby values stability over high ceiling. The problem is that UGA has already proven that, like, it needs a higher ceiling if it's going to beat Alabama. And I think you can make an argument in good faith that says that, well, you can get that higher ceiling with a better game from Stetson Bennett. But my question is, how much better of a game can you get from Stetson Bennett? <clears throat> it depends on what Kirby Smart's goals are, I guess. Are his goals just to have a good season or are his goals to win the big game in the end? And the reason why I say that is because if you just want to have a good season, stick with Stetson. Do what you're doing. Don't change much. You know, change to your your competition in game and make some in game adjustments. But it's kind of like at some point you gotta you you gotta kind of throw a hail mary, so to speak. You gotta change things up and you gotta see what can happen otherwise. Um, that is not the sure thing. That is not a very Kirby smart thing to do. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty in that. And so I can imagine that that's probably not what we'll see based on just what we have seen. Is that right in assuming? That's the no. You're right, and that's the problem. Um, the very last subjective narrative I've been hearing a lot was uh, Georgia looks to fix rushing issues against Kentucky. So this is another common theme I've been seeing. And this is just one I, I pulled from, I think, the red and black that was just talking about uh, rushing issues we've been having. Um, the, these um, these articles are saying, and it, it's all kind of based off of uh, Prescott to speak to Zamir White this past week. And Zamir kind of talked a little bit about some things that uh, Coach Smart said. Um, talking a bit about injuries in our running back core, just that nobody's been at 100%. Everyone's had a bit of an injury. Zamir White revealed that he had, uh, I think it was a knee tweak that he was concerned about, and so he wasn't running as fast or as hard as he could have been. And so just things like that going on. And so what sort of things would, would kind of lead to um, – what what sort of things that we would we hoped for them to fix this weekend? Um, what sort of things did we see that we're, we're thinking that just weren't quite it? You know, Graham pointed out that – in the Ole Miss-Alabama game, Ole Miss ran the ball like between 60 and 70% of the time. UGA had success against Alabama, but then they went away from the run because mistakes put them down. I think before Alabama, UGA was not a very good down-in and down-out down out efficiency rushing team. So I feel like, the, I mean, you got to improve rushing all the way through. Now, it seems like the offensive line is kind of gelling. So I think you you have a good chance of getting better at it re- like quickly. Um, but I also think like, you know, part of the answer to making us better rushing team might just be how you split up snaps. I mean, for, for whatever reason, and I think he might be injured a little bit or he has, so he has dealt with injuries. You know, Zamir white has just lacked vision at times this year. He hasn't had the burst that you would expect from a five-star recruit. And um, I think we've gotten really good production out of Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. Now it seems like Kenny McIntosh is banged up, but I, I would expect that we're going to see a lot more stats for Kendall Milton. Next segment here, we can get into our stats worth highlighting. And so I kind of like to hop right into this by um, at least per our last episode standard, just kind of talking about what do we know about Kentucky? Where do they come from? Where do they go? Where do they go? Yada, 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 yada. Um, their worst game this season was last weekend, in fact. It was the 2010 loss to Mizzou. Um, it was a weird game, Nathan. And that's kind of what I'm finding as I kind of look through the stats and the box scores, the games that they played against teams. This Kentucky team is like kind of all over the place. Um, they got a pretty good defense. They got a, a quarterback who's still kind of feeling things out. And so now we're, we're just kind of looking at a, a team that's kind of all over the place. They, they kind of swing hard back and forth between doing really, really well and doing 
kind of just some weird stuff last weekend. I know they only had 16 minutes of possession. Um, they only ran uh, an amount of plays that you will be able to tell me it better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they ran 30, they ran 36 plays on the day. Yeah. They controlled the ball for 16 minutes, which is actually hard to do. They had mm-hmm. one. They had a 20 yard drive that ended in no points and only 36 possess- or 36 uh, uh, snaps total. So, I mean, I. This this team is odd. Do you want to run over the yeah. efficiencies for us, and then I can give you the SP plus stuff? Yeah, and I mean, and, and before I even get there, I just wanted to looking at the Mizzou box score. Like Mizzou did not have like a dominant offensive game. So you're right when you say like that's hard to do. Hard to have only 16 minutes of possession on the offense. Like I'm not even entirely sure what happened without watching the game. Um, but yeah, let's, we'll run over these efficiencies real quick. Um, the FBI efficiencies overall, they're 68.2, which is good for a rank of 25th offensively. They're 41.8, which is good for a rank of 60. So just above average defense is ranked 78 or ranked 16th with a score of 78.4 special teams, 58.7 for a rank of 38th. And so there's really not, I mean, their defense is pretty good. I mean, that's kind of what we were thinking going into this. Um, their special teams rank doesn't say it, but they do have a pretty stellar punter named Max Duffy, who won uh, the best punter award last year in the college football uh, NCAA, uh, the Ray Guy Award, which I do think is is a pretty solid name for an award. Um, he is doing really, really well. He is actually punting 44.25 net punting yards, which is good for 10th nationally. And to give you a point of reference, that's, that's very, very good. Uh, Georgia's sitting at third nationally with 47.9, and we've all been pretty uh, jazzed about Jake Camarda. So give me give me your thoughts on uh, those numbers and how we're, we're kind of stacking up against them. I mean, so I will say uh, SP Plus has them seventh in special teams, and I think that has to do with the fact that um, Connolly's formula gives a higher advantage to punting and field position. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this is a good defense. But I think this is a pretty bad matchup for Kentucky. Uh, you know, by comparison, uh, Kentucky's defense is 34th per SP plus. Uh, both Tennessee and Auburn, Tennessee is 29th, Auburn is 30th. And those were teams that, I mean, on the line of scrimmage, UGA kind of took to the woodshed. And I don't, you know, I mean, obviously UGA, then this is part of why we talked about running the ball earlier. UGA had a, had a problem running the ball down in and down out against Tennessee, but I, I don't think that this is a great matchup for Kentucky because their their defense is probably the third worst defense that we've... I mean, we, we played probably three better defenses than them, maybe mm-hmm. four this year. And they're off... I mean, and I think Arkansas is probably one of them that's better. And their offense is really bad, really quite bad. Like, I think probably the worst offense we faced this year, 86th in the nation per SP+. Um, Terry Wilson was a highly heralded recruit who went to uh, Oregon and he transferred out under uh, Justin Herbert when he went there. And then, you know, he ended up in Kentucky, he got hurt, he came back and he just, I mean, he can make some plays with his legs and he'll hit you on a deep throw sometimes, but doubt, I mean, he's not a very efficient quarterback quarterback down in and down out. And I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can beat this UGA team without a very, very good offense. And, I, I the problem Kentucky has, and I, the reason I think this is a really bad matchup, and the reason that it's like I almost don't have a lot to say other than this is Kentucky wants to play a rock fight. They want to play a slow game with not a lot of plays, and they want to mess the game up and make the game ugly, and they, they that's how they want to win. Hmm. The problem they're going to have is that like Kirby Smart goes to sleep 
praying to God to play a football game like that every week. <laughs> this is not the kind of game that Georgia loses under Kirby Smart. I mean, it just is not. I mean, since, you know, I mean, since Vanderbilt in 2016, which is the last time we lost to a team in the East, there every time that UGA gets into a rock fight, they win. And the way you yeah. beat UGA is you have very, very good outside talent and you throw the ball downfield. And that and that can beat UGA and Alabama has done it. But you cannot out UGA this UGA team because they just have more talent than you. Even in, and UGA's offense might not look good and we might not get any improvement and Stetson Bennett might just be average. But even if all of that happens, I can't see this team scoring more than like 10 points against this UGA defense because I still think they're very good despite some mistakes against Alabama. And even if they do, I feel very confident that against a defense that has turned the ball or an offense that's turned the ball over, that UGA is going to have a non-offensive touchdown. Like, I feel very confident in that. Yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, the only team I foresee putting up as many points as they did on us all season is going to be Alabama. Like, we we played the number one offense. Maybe Florida. And maybe Florida. I mean, Florida will get pretty close. I don't think we'll play Florida the same way we played Alabama. So the points on the board don't mean the same, if that makes sense. Like, they're not weighted the same, in my opinion. Well, they they Um, come... Well, I mean, obviously, points are not as at a premium against Florida because their defense is very bad. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And And if you're Florida, if you're Florida at this point, you got to be worried about missing two weeks of practice. So let me tell you about the. Well, actually, that's that's really interesting. You say that because I'm I'm curious to see how that goes, because like I mentioned last week, kind of offhanded and it surprised you a bit was the FPI accounts for every week of practice is five and a half points adjusted. And so I'm curious to see how that is affected. And if these two weeks of not going to practice count as actual rest <laughs> um, with everything else that's kind of worked in there, uh, I that mean, being like there's players with COVID, there's players that aren't they, practicing. Mi- like, I think they're missing like 35 players right now, and they just had yeah. six new positive tests going into their first week of practice. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, that is a good question, a, though. Yeah, and it's a question as to, we. I mean, we'll have to wait till next week to see if we honestly even play them they might still be in the same situation as they are right now but uh we'll see what happens but uh, i did want to ask a little bit further i want to dig deeper into max duffy so he is a senior from perth australia which is one of my favorite things when you get a good kicker from australia or new zealand or uh, one of these other places that you know is more known for playing rugby than anything since it's it's very much like a, a place kicker and punter kind of thing but since this guy is so good, we haven't played anybody that has a punter this good and kind of put it anywhere he wants. Do you th- have any worries going into this game that our offense won't be able to start the way that it needs to start if we're placed so far down the field? Like we've had a lot of issues getting uh, established as far as success rate goes and having an efficient game. But what can we kind of expect to see and hope to see? Well, I mean, in terms of special teams advantages, UGA, the reason that they're the number three special teams uh, team in uh, in the land is because not only do they have a very good punter, they've had very good return games or very good return games this year. Kenny McIntosh has been very good. Now he might not be able to go, but I, I think we've, I trust UGA to put itself in a very good position field wise. Uh, UGA has won the field position battle in pretty much every game. And so I feel pretty confident about that. I mean, uh, other matchups, I mean, you know, you, uh, Kentucky does have some, some pieces on offense. They got Terry Wilson, they have a uh, another Chris Rodriguez is a really good player. Um, he is a well, let me get his his specifics up. He's 5'11", 225, plays running back. He's I mean he's a good player. He's um you know hasn't quite proven himself to the to the 
to the degree that some of their former running backs have, but he looks really good. Cavassia Smoke is another uh, another running back for them who has a great name and also is, has been very effective. Uh, Kentucky's problem has been that they just cannot move the ball with any consistency. So, you know, I'm less really worried about Georgia's offense than I am. I, Georgia's offense only has pressure on it if Kentucky moves the ball regularly. And I don't know that they're going to be able to. So speak of the devil. Uh, we just had somebody uh, as actually Graham posted this in the uh, Chapel Bell Curve Discord server um, talking about the Florida football program, how they just had six new positive cases, like you said, um, this week, and they started meetings again on Monday. And so I do wonder how that's going to affect things and if that is going to worsen things and lengthen this uh, this outbreak and or quarantine going forward. So we'll see. Ay, ay, ay. Oy vey. Hachimachi. Yeah, it, All the it, things it, you could say about it. It sucks because it's like, I want to beat Florida at full strength. Yes. Because I, my, I live for being able to dunk on every Florida person I see at all times. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to be able to give any asterisks. Now, if we play a Florida team with, that has 40 scholarship players. Yeah. Let's see if we can hang 70 on them. I don't know if we've ever done it before. I think the Cumberland uh, Georgia tech game is 221. And if we could do that, that'd be great. But you know, I, I, it sucks, man. It just sucks. Like it's, yep. it's a, it's a bad situation for everybody, including Georgia, because you know Georgia wants to play this game against Florida, and I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, and we still got to beat Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. But I just to just briefly one more thing I'll say about Kentucky is, and we've talked about this before, but <laughs> there's a really fun, uh, really cool thing that um, we've referenced them already today on the show. But Bill Elliott and Bud, or Bud Elliott, and and who is his uh, Barton Simmons. Had a, re- had a really interesting game that they played at the beginning of the year where they said, how many points does UGA have to score to beat blank? So I asked that question. How many points does UGA have to score to beat Kentucky? And I think the answer might be like 17 or 20. Yeah, I think it's 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 low for sure. It's, it's 17 not or 24. Yeah, and, and so that's, that's the thing is like Kentucky's offense is probably better than their 20 to 10 showing uh, against Missouri. But if you look at their Tennessee game, a lot of those points came off of turnovers. Have sort of mixed feelings about Stetson Bennett, but I don't think that he's quite as prone to just throwing a really bad pick as Jared Garantano is at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me. I, I'm not trying to discount Kentucky, but the reason I'm, I want to talk about Florida is that it's hard for me to see Georgia coming out of here with anything but a win. Now it might be an ugly win and a win that we hate. And, and we might be sitting here having the same stupid discussion about Stetson Bennett next <laughs> week. But I really do think that I, I, this is a, probably a pretty scorching hot take, but I don't think it's wrong. I think that the Florida Georgia game is in more jeopardy than people would like to imagine. Because I mean, you have to have a, you have to, there's like, there is a finite cap on the fewer number of, like you have to have a certain number of players to play the game. Yes. And there's no about, there's no amount of bad math. There's no about of sec sort of like good old boys club bullshit. There's none of that is going to help if Florida can't field a team. And I'm not saying they won't be able to, but I think people, maybe because it's a week away, people haven't quite thought of this yet, but I don't know that, I mean, I'd say it's probably 70% that we play the game next weekend, but I think that 30% is probably more than people think it is. Yeah, it's it definitely feels a little bit more weighted. I think it's it's 53 or 54 scholarship players have to be eligible to play in order to field yeah. a team. And um, at some point last week, they had 30 out. It's, so yeah, it's, that would put them right <laughs> at that line. 
this month they're up to 37 people out too so and then if you're florida like do you want to play let's say you could go right do you want to play georgia with 54 scholarship players because you're probably getting your ass kicked in that game which florida has a legit shot and is a matchup problem to for uga fully fully admit i think they're a very good team but i don't think 54 random players uh is going to do it against uga this year no so let's stop talking about florida since we still got to yeah. get there i guess <laughs> yeah 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 sorry let's, let's not, move back no you're good I'm, let's I was not right there with counter you. chickens yeah let's not count any chickens before they pop out the eggs um etc cetera, etc cetera. so let's talk about things you want to see then i know that one of the number one things I want to see is I just think we need to be more successful on early downs. I mean, we've been putting Stetson Bennett and our offense into some some pretty nasty third downs where it's all just on them to figure out what to do and how to do it. And so I think that either Bennett has to have learned something over the bye week and, and things need to have clicked or um, someone else becomes the answer or our running backs take over. So kind of where, where your what's your mind on that? Yeah, I mean, Georgia has been facing about 16 third downs uh, per game, which is puts them at the top half of the country. So I don't know. I I feel like that in particular is troublesome because it, it kind of speaks to some of those running game worries that we were talking about earlier. You know, Bennett has not been especially he's been pretty good on actually passing downs, but he hasn't been especially great on uh, standard downs. I feel like the answer is that Bennett probably has a little more in the tank than he's shown at this point, And he probably gets a little bit better. And our run game gets a little bit more on track. Uh, ultimately, I think it, you're probably a, I don't know how much better you're going to get on third down. And, you know, I don't know how much better UJ's offense is going to get in general. I think that this is probably enough to beat Kentucky just because, you know, I don't know how many points they're going to score. But I, I think I, I don't know that we're really going to solve the problem against Kentucky, which worries me about the Florida game. So I think you have some notes here about tight ends. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to write I'm not going to read out what I wrote, but um, <laughs> just a bunch of scribbling, essentially. Yeah, it's not it's it's uh, profane. But OK, here's the thing. Um, Trey McKitty has looked good when we've hit him. Um Darnell Washington only has one catch on the year, but he looked great. He was blocking really well. John Fitzpatrick is steady. There it is. And and I don't actually think that this is a Todd Munkin thing. Um, everything that I've read is that Todd Munkin will feed the tight end. And I have seen a lot more creative usage of the tight ends in passing route patterns than we've had in the past. Happy with all that. Stetson has got to learn to read the check down. And in particular, he's got to learn to check down to tight ends, man. We have been running a lot of like tight end flat routes or, I mean, there's a bunch of different words for it. I can pull up mm-hmm. my, uh, my route chart if we need to, but suffice to say, we've been running a lot of short to intermediate tight end routes that are wide open and Stetson has missed them and tried to throw downfield into double coverage. Now, sometimes that's worked because, you know, he's just made a, he's made a good uh, play, but I don't know, man. I, I feel like, you know, when you're running the tight end out of the, I guess, like Y or whatever position, which we are a lot, we have like a split tight end or just close Y or whatever. Um, when you're running like tight end shallow and tight end flat and tight end curl and tight end curl inside. And I mean, I love the tight end seam, which is it's one of my favorite plays in football. <laughs> Um, cause it, when it's open, it's just so ridiculously open and it just looks so goofy to have this big six, five guy catching something over his shoulder. 
we have to throw the tight end and, in, and I would say maybe the running backs too more often. And, and one of the notes I saw from one of the pay sites and I can't remember which one said that, you know, one of the things Bennett had been working on is uh check down routes. And like, it's weird because Bennett is just like zeroing in on his pre-snap read, but his pre-snap read is never the short route, which he's having like the opposite of the Jake Fromm problem where Jake Fromm would just check it down no matter <laughs> what and throw the shortest possible throw. And I, and he has just got to learn to find those open guys and just, you know, one of the things that we really complimented George's offense on when it was going well, and that I will still compliment Todd Munkin's offense on in general is that Todd Munkin schemes offense so that you're throwing the ball to where they aren't. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, the offense is not going to work as well. And it's not going to work at all, right? I mean, this is an offense that is designed to spread people across the field horizontally. It's designed to put stress on the offense in two dimensions, both across the field and down the field. And if you are not hitting open receivers that have been schemed open, the offense does not work. It is not a winner 50-50 matchup offense. That is not what it is supposed to do, right? And and sure, if you can, that's great. But like, and th- this has become less about the tight end and more about Stetson Bennett, but it's just like, he has got to hit open men. And th- I know that sounded like some kind of like comment on his personal life. Yeah, maybe but it is. like, yeah, it might be, I don't know. Just, it's very, very abusive to men or something. Um, but it just, and this and this leads into the efficiency in the run game thing, right? If, if UGA can open the offense up just a touch, and I'm not saying pitch it downfield 50 times like you're, you know, Texas uh, Tech or Utah State or whatever, like you're a Matt Wells team. That's not it. I'm saying if you throw it to open guys enough, you will get guys out of the box. And it doesn't matter really. It almost doesn't matter where those guys are on the field. Because if you're throwing to an open guy pretty much anywhere on the field, they're going to have to take a guy out of the box to defend that. And it doesn't really matter. They're either going to have to go into dime or go into quarter. Or they're going to have to move a lead, an edge defender, whatever. If you want to run more efficiently in this offense, I think you have to throw more efficiently. efficiently. And it means if there is someone wide-ass open, you have to hit them. Mm-hmm. And and I know that like everything I just said sounds really stupid and asinine. But I think in particular in Todd Munkin's offense, Todd Munkin's offense, re- I'll, I'll stop because I'm granting now, but Todd, Todd Munkin's offense relies on cheap yards and not cheap in a pejorative sense. Like Todd Munkin's offense is designed to scheme people wide ass open. That is what it does. And when it works, it is a thing of beauty. And he's done it at every level. He's done it at the power five. He's done it at the NFL. He's done it at the group of five. And when it is clicking, it clicks. But for that to happen, you have to, you do not have to have Matt Stafford. You don't have to have Justin Fields. You have to have a guy who hits the wide open man. And if anything scares me about Stetson Bennett, it is not his, his height. It is not his arm strength. It is that he needs to develop the vision to hit the guy that's open. And that, I mean, and that's, that's the ball game. If you can, if you can cover Alabama without Jalen Waddell and you can take first half against Alabama, Stetson Bennett in there and just have him make four or five more throws to open receivers, you can win that game. My concern is, I don't know if you can do that because I don't know if Stetson Bennett's that guy. And he very well might be. I could, I've been wrong before a lot, most of the time, actually. But like that, that, I, that is what I think the whole season comes down to. And I think we're going to, the, the referendum, that question is on the ballot for the rest of the season that as long as Stetson Bennett is starting. So yeah, that's my rant. It's a good rant. It was pretty, I would say it was pretty sedate by like Nathan rant standards. Uh, yeah, it was very concise. You were, you were very on it. You didn't stray too much. I'd give it a Here's solid I, like B plus A minus. 
I, here's what I'll say is that Graham, Graham Coffey and Josh Hancher, my, my co-host at the Battle Hymn, have made me a better ranter because like everything's so tight for time on that show and they're both mm-hmm. very smart. And so I have to be tighter. Whereas with you, <laughs> it's like... I kind of gas you up the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, Nathan, you need to prove this. And you're like, hey, you don't have to prove anything with me, baby. Just talk poetry. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more professional here. All right, over under four yards per carry by UGA on running plays. Now, they beat this at Alabama. The question is, you know, uh, and then, but they didn't stick with the run, and there are some mm-hmm. big runs in there that sort of, like, move that average around. So, the, so four yards per carry is not a great mark, but no it is way. a mark that UGA has missed at times on the year. So, yeah, four, over under four yards per carry. I'd like to say over because I think that this is the game that we kind of, uh, you know, we, we – We've said it a few times here. We're we're kind of having to figure out what our offensive identity is, and I don't think our offensive identity is just what we've done in the past. But I think a component of it is to run the ball better than we have been running it, um, and more consistently. And so, I don't think it's going to be much higher than four if we hit four. But I think it it may be four point one, four point two. Hell, it may even be four point five. We'll see. So I'll say over. Yeah, I'm gonna take. Um... I'm going to take over two because I for two reasons. One, I think Kendall Milton's having a really good, I think he's going to get more touches mm-hmm. and that's going to help. And I also think that the offensive line has started to solidify, but if I think your worst case scenario for this game might not even be a loss. I mean, that is obviously your worst case scenario. You could lose this game, but I think your, 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 your worst case winning scenario is with that Stetson Bennett doesn't get any better and or regresses. And suddenly Kentucky can put like 10 in the box on every play and all of a sudden, like you're winning this game 17 to 10. Yeah. I, I think that's your your worst case scenario. And that, that's what worries me. But I'm gonna say over because I do think it can improve a little bit. Yeah. Uh over under, I want to see whether or not we're gonna see any JT Daniels at all. Like, do we see him if we're ahead enough? Do we keep Stetson Bennett in um to give him more reps? So you're saying like over under once one JT Daniels snap? No, over under JT Daniels one quarter. So 15 oh, minutes of playtime. Under, 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 under. Yeah, that felt a bit rich for me. I was trying to figure out what might sound more competitive, like because I don't know, like five five JT Daniel snaps. That sounds like it'd be a a much more interesting thing. That just doesn't seem like it'd be worth it, though. Is my is how I feel about it. Like if we're gonna put him in at all, we want to get. I don't know. Do we want to just like shake the cobwebs off, or do we want him to like do something (laughs) if he plays at all? You know. Um, yeah, I mean, at 15 minutes, I say under for sure. I, there's a, I mean, there's a chance we don't see JT Daniels at all. Who knows? We just have all these crazy good quarterbacks coming through our program and we just say, oh, we'll see you when we see you essentially. Hey, I I do want to say late breaking news that it appears Uh that Kentucky sports radio, who's uh, a guy, Matt Jones, who's very plugged into Kentucky's football team is talking about that. Um, maybe Joey Gatewood, the transfer from Auburn, who was a Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, a higher rated dual threat quarterback might start against Georgia this week. Interesting. Because of an injury to Terry Wilson. Terry Wilson's not been great on this year now. So no, he's All done. Right, some, he's one? had some individual plays, but he hasn't been consistent. Um, I'm just going to do the over under all uh, overall over under 42.5. Nope. Uh, and th- so this is something that I saw and I was immediately thinking like, I, I think that's over. I think that's definitely over. Right. I mean, this is a very good defense we're playing. Um, 
but at the same time, I think that, that you know, we got to do something more. And and but at the, it's hard to say. Like I keep going back and forth because something we've also talked about is just the thought that we don't need to do a lot to beat this team. And my first instinct is that's Kirby's first instinct is like he's going to do what he needs to do and nothing more. Um, and at the end of the day, it's what Kirby wants, um, despite what it is we do. But if we end up throwing, I think a defensive touchdown in there, which is, is, is likely very likely. I think we have a better chance of hitting that over than not. So I'd I'd like to think over, um, just because it's in my, my heart of hearts. I'm going to say over, um, I, I have a reason. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know you have a reason too, but I have a specific reason, which is that I, I, this feels like a game where UGA gets like a strip sack for a touchdown or a pick Mm -hmm. six. And I think it comes in the second half. And I think this is probably like a classic UGA lays on you game. And UGA's defense this year and under Kirby Smart in general has shown the ability and the desire to go into the fourth quarter and just whip your ass in some Mm -hmm. way. And so I don't know that UGA really has to score 35 points to get to this number on offense because I think they're going to get at least seven from the D. Uh, Over under Kentucky, 22 and a half minutes of possession. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. Which is splitting high bar for them. It's kind of splitting the the, splitting them even almost um, as far as the season goes for the time of possession. But yeah, tell me what you Um, think. Oh, that's hard. Uh, I'll say under. I I think this is going to be a game where Kentucky, especially if they have a first time starter, might not be a first time starter, but if if they have a new starter, I think it's going to be difficult for them to get the ball moving, especially at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. I think under as well. Not by much, though. I think. I I mean, they got to. They got to do more on offense if they're going to want to hang in this game. But I think under just because I think our defense is going to play the way they're meant to play and they're going to force a lot of uh, turnovers by downs. And that's kind of what we're going to see. Mm-hmm. What's your last one? Uh, over under 0.5 UGA tight end TDs. I want to now, see it. Yeah, I'm going to say over, but I am ap- I'm openly telling you this will not happen. Yeah, I, I also think it's going to be under because I think we're going to get our touchdowns more easily than that. Uh, if we're, you know, I think we're going to get touchdowns from running backs. I think we're going to get touchdowns from, um, more typical. I mean, I'm going to say uh, over, but I, but you are right. And I am wrong. Like <laughs> this is just my wishful thinking. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we need to get Stetson Bennett throwing more often and to get him throwing more often. We're going to use the tight ends differently than, than for scoring. I think this game is leaning in Georgia's favor. Um, 14 and a half points feels Goodman, but where does that leave us as far as the final score uh, at the end of the day? Um, I mean, I think UGA covers. I think it's I don't think it's an easy cover because I don't think this is going to be an easy game. I think this is going to be a game that's going to be ugly because that's what Kentucky wants to do. And they do have some amount of talent. I think UGA ultimately wins. And I think that the final score will look comfortable, but will feel like shit for those of us who watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like a uh, 35, 14 and I'm only saying 14 because I think, you know, Kentucky has a combination of a good enough defense to turn you over and get a short field and or just a straight up score and enough skill on offense that, you know, you that you could bl- you could give up like an Arkansas style touchdown to this team because they have some real talent. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to say 35, 14. Um, I think this is a game that's probably like um c- the one of those like classic comfortable, uncomfortable Georgia games going into the third quarter where it's like, well, we're up 28, 14, but it sure does feel like shit, doesn't it? Like we haven't really done a lot. And like we had like two really good drives in the first half, but you know, Stetson Bennett or 
Kendall Milton had a turnover that led to points. And so it's like we're up two touchdowns, but it feels really tenuous. But it doesn't feel tenuous because the defense is really playing lights out. And then I think I, I, I think this game probably feels more like Tennessee than it does Auburn. And I think this is one of those games where it's like there are moments where you're like, oh, shit, this is not great. And then it just kind of gets away from Kentucky, who is probably a better team than I or anyone else is giving it credit for because mm-hmm. they do have some talent on defense. But I don't know has I think this is a team that can play like two and a half really good quarters against UGA and make us feel awful about it the whole time. Because yeah. that's that's what they do. I mean, and it's to their credit. Like I, I have criticized UGA for not having an identity at times offensively. And and Kentucky's identity is like we will slow this game down and make you feel awful and me- and just be messy. <laughs> we will just be messy all over your neat orderly football game, and you just have to figure out how to win. I mean, I think we win pretty comfortably ultimately. And like, if you're like an if you're a casual observer, or you even watch the Sports Center highlights, you'll probably be like, oh yeah, look couple of big plays from UGA. Good. Sealing it away. No big deal. We know what happened. But if you're like someone who actually watched it, you're going to be like, really feel like it really feel like an asshole. Um, I doubt he's watching at this point or listening at this point because I did talk some shit about his team. But shout out to Turner Hawkins, my number one Kentucky fan in my heart and my my big, beautiful boy up in uh, Tennessee, who I love and miss very much. Um, and normally I am like very much C.A.T.S. Cats, cats, cats. Uh, but just not this week. Looking deeper into this game, too, I just noticed uh, I was looking at the first half spread for this game. It has total spread. Uh, the over under is at 21 and a half. And the spread for Georgia, they're thinking that Georgia will be uh, seven and a half points up um, by the end of the first half, which is I, that's doable. I feel like that's that's definitely possible. And what I'm kind of predicting this game, too. I mean, my my prediction is not that far and away from yours. I have a 34-13. Um, I think Kentucky you, gets a couple you, stops out of you us. Just, you just prices righted me. I didn't mean to. I had it written down you went, before you did, to be fair. You went down by one point. You went, oh, the closest <laughs> without going over with all this bullshit. All right. I'm, I'm joking. Go ahead. Uh, no, I think that, that they get a few stops out of us. And uh, I do think that we get some defensive touchdowns. I think we get a strip or we get a, a pick or something. Something happens. I mean, with... A quarterback, like you said, that is starting for the first time, at least this season, it doesn't always bode all that well. Like, very few times does a quarterback that's just starting do everything right. Um, I mean, that, that, that's not to say that it's not completely possible that he does do everything right and he's the answer for everything they need, but it's just, it's unlikely. And so I think that we get something going there. Um, I think we come away with it in the second half. Um, I think you're right. Like this is not a game. If if it goes the way Kentucky wants and the way Kirby wants, this is a game that's closer going into the half. But by the end of the game, we make the adjustments necessary to come away with it. Well, I think we do beat the spread. Um, I think we're fine. I think it's Georgia 34, uh, Kentucky 13. Uh, are you ready for our favorite segment of the day? I am. Ask CBC. So if you want to hear your own questions on the show, make sure to hashtag Ask CBC by the beginning of the week. We will answer your questions on air. So most of these questions come from our Discord server. Uh, very first question comes from Cape. Question goes, thoughts on Pickens' lack of targets? Own personal opinion hasn't developed as a route runner. 69% of targets have come on go, hitch, curl, or fade routes. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has not gotten open with the regularity or had separation with the regularity he has. I think it's a combination of route running and also, I don't know how well he's gelled with... Um, with Stetson Bennett. I also, it, it, he apparently is hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he has some kind of uh, little mini um, 
uh, upper body injury or something? There are a lot of shoulder injuries, I feel like, going around. Um, next one comes from Joel. This is actually in regards to the Alabama game. How weird did it feel for you to hear Gary Danielson actually say positive things about Jordan during the game on Saturday? I don't know. I was having a rage whiteout for most of that game. And I also <laughs> pl- I also watched I also watched the game um, very muted. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, next question comes from Joel as well, actually. Follow up to that question. In light of the loss on Saturday, the dogs only dropped one spot in the rankings. Uh, historically, we'd, ha- we'd have seen a drop to about eighth at best in the polls from similar results. Do you believe this, along with some of the statements from the CBS broadcast, could possibly indicate some media wariness with a Saban-Alabama dynasty narrative? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's any weariness. I do think that, like, there's an element that, like, I think it's, it is also just an acknowledgement that, like, UGA is just very good on defense. And it's hard to... It, UGA probably is a very high floor. And I think that there's more awareness of this than there used to be. Mm-hmm. The next question comes from Austin MS. Relate Georgia football to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> um, hold on. So I, are you familiar with Maslow's? I am uh, as familiar with it as I feel like I need to be, which is all it has to do with personal motivation and having what your needs met like what do you have you have basic needs the it's a pyramid essentially right. so it, it's a it's yeah. a psychological concept about like the order at which people need to satisfy their needs mm-hmm. it is a very popular is a popular concept to talk in about in education in regards to like how home life and family life and poverty affect children right so the idea is that like you can't you can't like the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, which is like morality and creativity and being spontaneous and accepting other people. And but you can't reach that without the other levels, which is like your self-esteem and confidence and your respect from other people. And the blow bat, you have like love and belonging and sense of intimacy. And this is the problem in public schools, is the below that you have physiological needs, which is like or you have safety and security, which is like you have you know security of property and family and social stability and even below that you have physiological needs like food water shelter breathing clothing sleep um and so it's an idea that like it's difficult for students to do these self-actualized uh burst of sort of spontaneous creativity that we often ask for them when we try to write quote-unquote cute assignments um (laughs) because they are oftentimes not having the lower three tiers of those of those met right so a lot of times and now this is just me talking about this is my education podcast now um (laughs) and a lot of a lot of times students who struggle that you know we say like this student just doesn't do well in school and what we're really saying is that they don't have the they haven't met the levels of um support and security at the other levels of uh, maslow that they need to and i would say that that uga football is definitely like it's probably self-esteem because it's the thing that keeps me from getting into that self-actualization category a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Kyle Sargent asks, the first one is the sport of football must swap balls with another sport of your choosing. Which one? Are both sports made better or worse by the swap? Okay. I I think we should both answer this question because I want to hear I want to yes. hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I actually, so I have two answers. The first one is um, fistball. It's not, <laughs> I looked up all the games that have balls in them and I found a game called fistball and I didn't lo- bother looking up what the game or the ball uh, is or or anything like that. I just kind of wanted it to be known that a game called fistball exists. Uh, my actual answer is tetherball. And ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> That's funny. That's good. 
I want to attach the ball to the biggest or meanest boy on the field and see kind of how that affects the game. It's kind of like a Quidditch situation where you got to attach the ball to the boy um, and run the boy down the field while, I guess, swinging the ball around the boy in order to... So I'm assuming that the uh, the official... So this is like a Quidditch meets roller derby thing. Yeah, something like that, I guess. Meets tetherball, of course. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I think the official name of that position is the boy. Yeah, the boy. And he is, he is <laughs> the one <boy>. to whom... <laughs> or do you just call him the pole? He is the no, pole. No, no, no. I, I just think the boy is the, the best. The boy is good. And the boy. <laughs> yeah, the boy runs down the field. Bury the boy. Very good. Bury the boy. What about you? Um, my answer, because I just want to live in a dystopian society, is bocce ball. Yes. Now, just just come with me on this, all right? Mm-hmm. I'm now, here. I have two answers. I Either bocce ball or highlight. Okay, but so there is this theory that, and I've heard a lot of older, I think like Dick Butkus has said this, and maybe um, like a couple of like really old school, like mid, like played in the 60s, but when they were like leather helmets or the 50s, you know, they have said that like the thing that made football more dangerous was actually hard outer, outer shell helmets. Because oh, yeah. then when when you have a hard outer shell, you feel like you're not going to get hurt if you lower your head, and then you put your head at more risk and you use your helmet as a weapon. So by following, I would follow that with, if you're holding a, a ball made out of hard ceramic and or wood and or stone, and I, now I'm leaning more towards high lie, <laughs> you are going to treat the ball carrier and your body in reference to the ball carrier with a lot more respect. I feel like you would see a giant spike in injuries and then you would see injuries come way down because football would become like, all right, we're going to wrap this guy up in like a perfect form tackle and we're not going to break our clavicle by trying to like tackle the ball out anymore. Yeah. And we're definitely not going to lure our head. Here so, yeah, comes the boy. Highlight. <laughs> Here comes the boy. He has, he has to be very strong because he has a highlight ball attached to him with a tether <laughs> and it's made of stone and it weighs about two or three pounds. The boy is, is the, the position that gets injured the most in this yes. new version of football. My my original answer was actually tech ball. And if nobody knows what tech ball is, it's T-E-Q ball. And it's basically ping pong with a soccer ball. And it's exactly the way you imagine ping pong with a soccer ball would be played. Um, it's buck wild. And I just want to see them play with an American football is the reason why I chose Somebody that has suggested griff ball on our Discord which is the uh, made-up sport. I, I believe off the top of my head that it's the made-up sport from Red versus Blue. There's it also is. a Halo game mode where you have like a bomb and everybody has an energy sword and a, <laughs> a hammer, a hammer maybe. Uh, Griff ball sounds fun. Yeah, that could be good. Where like the ball, the ball is a bomb, but like to do that, everyone has to have Mjolnir armor and then um, you can do it. When everyone is a Spartan, then you can run <laughs> Griff ball. That's the only way to play it. But then we have that a literal Spartan. Of- of having armor and feeling invincible. So I don't know, man. Yeah. But um, the Spartan armor is not like fake Lexa and shell invincible. It's like, it's the real you know, deal. Yeah. The real deal. That's that, that'll take a hit from a, from a covenant elite or two. Maybe <laughs> who can say until you do it. Abby asks, what is your go-to dinner recipe on a busy week? Um, I am, we, we have traditionally been a big bowl family mm-hmm. where, you just make like uh, we do like a lot of Buddha bowls or quinoa bowls where you make a bunch of quinoa you and then you roast like a bunch of vegetables. And usually for us, it's sweet potatoes, garbanzo beans, red onions and um, some kind of pepper. And you just mm-hmm. roast those while you kick the quinoa and then you just sort of like 
throw it all on top of the quinoa with some avocado slices and then maybe, you know, a little um, lemon and lime juice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what we've done a lot. Uh, also, super into soups. We make um, like a sort of, it's kind of a pastiche of a bunch of different Japanese soup recipes, but it's like a chicken soup that we make that we use um, miso and mirin in and um, we season it with like furikake season uh, mix, which is like a really common Japanese se- uh, seasoning yeah. mix. Um, what about you? Um, it rotates a good bit. Uh, right now we're into, we have a real uh, long enchilada phase, which I think that we've gotten mm. really good at perfecting. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a very good mm-hmm. uh, recipe we've kind of gotten to, but cook the chicken in the Instant Pot, super simple. You shred it in the mixer, throw in some chilies, throw in some Los Calientes hot sauce, um, along with a little bit of crema, some salt, pepper, um, and then you throw it in the enchiladas. The thing we found that's really a, a nice secret that we've discovered is you have to flash fry the tortillas before you roll them. And so you get yeah. a little pan of oil, flash fry it until it puffs up like 10 seconds on each side, then you roll it, cover it in hatch green chili sauce um, and cheese, and it gets cooked for like 10 minutes and it's done and it's outstanding. Another, we, we do a couple of pan meals like that. We'll do like a mm-hmm. giant pan of chicken enchiladas so we can eat them for like two or three days. Yeah. We do that with lasagna. We had a phase where we're making huevos rancheros all the time. It's actually really easy to make. Well, it's not that easy, but it's easy to make a lot of ranchero sauce. And that shit is good on everything. And so I love fried eggs. Fried egg is like one of my favorite foods. And so we would just make fried eggs with beans and ranchero sauce. Mm. Um, so good. Highly recommended. Also, you know, it's funny. Like, I think we are the only people in the world that don't have an Instapot at this point. Really? My wife, Samantha, is not... Samantha does not like pressure cookers and it doesn't yeah. matter that they're objectively safe. It's I still a bomb. <laughs> she, she's never going to get past the old school metal pressure cooker that to be fair, my mom does have one that she uses a lot. That is a little bit like, Oh, this, this might destroy our house. Um, <laughs> Second question. I think this actually fits because you've been singing the same song all day. What song or songs do you listen to when you're having a stressful day or moment? I love the song. Do you want to know by the Arctic monkeys? I don't know why. I, I think it's just a, it's such an artfully written song and it's delivered with such aesthetic delicacy. Um, I think it captures, it is, it is almost a tone poem in, in both it's simultaneously lyrically and tonally like audio tone. Um, it, it just is so evocative of such a, like ephemeral yet simultaneously powerful emotional state of like the sort of like, sickening mad energy of unrequited love um i think it's really a work of art um Mm. i i mean in terms of when i'm stressed out i i like i listen to a lot of like instrumental instrumental music when i'm stressed out uh i will listen to like there's a yo-yo ma version of simple gifts that i really like to listen to um i will listen to lo-fi i'll just get on youtube and listen to like lo-fi music to study slash chill to for like an hour (laughs) That's that's the real answer most of the time. Yep. And yep. then and or like or when I'm really we- feeling like in a funk, I'll listen to the the Planet Suite by Gustav Holst. There's a London Philharmonic recording of it from the mid 2010s. I'm gonna say on Spotify that is excellent. Very good brass section. Mm. Um, and every time I listen to Jupiter, I just like cry like a little baby. <laughs> uh, I've recently. This is another thing that kind of rotates for me too. But the most recent song i've been listening to on repeat when i'm uh either 
like running or trying to be focused or stressed out is the um, the Hamilton soundtrack. And my favorite songs are Wait For It and Dear Theodosia. Both fantastic songs that I, I can't stop listening to. I love them both very much. And there's another. I like um, I like Right Hand Man. Right Hand Man ooh, is like the, yeah. the it's the only it's one of the very few musical songs that I've been like, oh, that's badass. Yeah, not usually a word badass. that you associate with musicals. <laughs> musicals. Hamilton is one of those. Um, but the other more traditional artists that I've been listening to uh, is Andrew Bird has been in my rotation a lot more mm. frequently lately. Um, I like him a lot. Hey, so, if you're looking for something that like I know some people and I'm like this sometimes when you get stressed out or you're in a dark place, you want to listen to dark music. There's this uh, artist called Gunship um, mm. that they do like synth wave, like techno noir style story songs. One of them is called Dark All Day, which is about a vampire. It's very good. Um, highly recommended. Also, Vampire Stepdad, another very good synth wave band. And it's about your dad, but your <laughs> a new man has married your mom, but he's a vampire. Like it's, it, they're all concept albums about that concept. One of them is like vampire stepdad on an eighties, like cop show. It's very good. So our very last segment of the show before we leave is the Dr. James Bearfield troll corner. It's presented by cheer wines. The wine, what gives you diabetes? TM, 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 Nathan, the very first question. I thought too hard about this. So help me come out of this hole. If UGA were a transformer, which one would it be? And why? I think we've had this question before also. <laughs> all right. I have an answer. I, I'm interested to hear yours. Uh, I'm, very partial to the beast wars series of transformers um it it holds a lot of nostalgia for me it brings me back to a time where i woke up way too early for school and would watch that before i hopped on the bus i want to say my favorite character is rat trap because i think most people's is but i do not believe that is uga i think if i had to pick a beast wars i think i'm i might honestly is it too is it too much to pick the optimus prime but in his gorilla form specifically no, that fits. Yeah. Yeah. That feels right. Um, my initial answer was Drift, which is just my favorite Transformer because he's a samurai and he looks like a Gundam. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not right for UGA. I'm going to say Long Haul um, because he is a, uh industrial dump truck that probably gets really <laughs> bad gas mileage. And he is dummy thick, like yeah. thick, thick, thick. And that is like very UGA, like bad gas mileage. Very strong, dummy thick. Uh, second question: What's your favorite Lego set you've ever put together? I, I, you know, I recently did some like Star Wars mini diorama scenes with mm-hmm. uh, Samantha, and it was just so fun to assemble Legos with her. So I'll say those. I love. We made Kylo love, Ren. Love we made. Um, we had. Uh, we bought a set that was like the Octo training set from Return of the or, or the Last Jedi, and uh, that had like Ray and the little hut and Luke. And then we also bought a separate one that had Kylo Ren in it just so we could pose them with like Ray and Kylo Ren like touching hands like they do in The Last Jedi because that's mm-hmm. the kind of pieces of shit we are. <laughs> uh, I got to put together the Millennium Falcon a couple years ago with Ryan and that was really, oh, really awesome. Yeah. It was like, it, you know, when you went over to a friend's house and you're like, I got this thing we're going to do for three hours and nothing else matters. Um, but you really don't do that as much um, with just like uh, a, a friend anymore. Like most of the time it's, it's our wives who are also our friends. But um you don't just kind of like do that. Like that's a feeling that you miss every once in a while, but that, uh, that felt like that moment. And that was really fun. This is also, I will say this is not the big expensive millennium Falcon. It's like the one step down. So, so the $200 one, not the $1,000 one. Yes. <laughs> is UGA's offense prepared to wow us off of a ball, uh, off of a bye week or will it take a moment 
to wipe off the rest. I think they'll I think they'll look pretty good. I think, you know, you usually improve on your bye week, good teams do, and I think this is a well coached yeah. team. Final question. Is the QB job up for grabs? Or do you think a bad half wasn't enough to loosen Bennett's hold of the job? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dr. James Beerfield out here asking some real questions. I mean, I don't everything I've read is that, you know, Stetson Bennett wasn't in their plans before the season. I don't think they have any particularly loyalty to him. So in that sense, I do think it is. But I also just don't know. I mean, it seems like at this point, either JT Daniels is hurt or he has not returned to form. Because yeah. I think he would be playing if he would, if he had. It definitely seems that way. And I mean, his, what, third game starting for Georgia is against Alabama. <laughs> not to yeah, say I mean, that it's they, less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's less than ideal. So I think he's he's doing okay enough. Wasn't a great game. He's going to have to do better. You want to see us out? Yeah. So this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard here today, you can find us on Twitter at Nathan J. Lawrence or at the Justin Ray. You can also yell at us on Twitter collectively at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to see our beautiful faces, mine, but also Justin sometimes, you should check us out on Chapel Bell Curve or on the Battle Hymnal at our video sister show, The Battle Hymnal. Um, we are also appearing on the dog sports Twitter feed now for reasons that are beyond me, but good on those peeps. Uh, <laughs> if you really liked what you heard here today, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash drop a bell curve. $1 gets you in the door on an excellent, excellent, excellent. I would say a, even a fourth excellent, uh, discord community. We got a lot of good folks in here talking about a lot of fun stuff. It's not just football. We're playing games. We're doing watch parties. We're generally just making fools of ourselves in the best possible way. And, you know, I hundred percent guarantee of no Nazis. So it's way better than most communities. Uh, if you, <laughs> I don't think I have any more plugs, do I? All right, just cut uh, this out anyway. Oh, yeah, well you can say, uh, we are still donating all of our funds, uh, that we make this season to yes, the dogs for pups campaign. Absolutely. We're still do- donating all of our funds to dogs to pups. How much have we donated to this point on the year? I want to say we're about to donate another few hundred dollars. It's going to be like 1250, I believe. Which is pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all because don't of do, folks like a you. Good cause. Yeah. People like you uh, who have do- donated, supporting a great cause, helping kids in the Clark uh, Athens area community. Uh, and, you know, we, we couldn't say we couldn't be more pleased with how this community has grown over the past few months. And we are just absolutely 100 percent thrilled and would love to have you over. So come on over, y'all. Yeah. Come on over, y'all. Put that on a shirt and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> I, come I on over y'all that that doesn't seem like it's an original ip but whatever probably not we got football anyway, and games yeah you can catch us this weekend in the classic city or parts unknown probably the classic city if we're being honest mm-hmm. until then go go dogs, dogs.